I'm Grace Allen. And I'm Ricardo Allen. And we are The Allens. Welcome to our podcast where we share our unfiltered insights, perspective, and knowledge on this roller coaster of a ride that we call life. Ricardo Allen is down at the 42 and a half, 43. Join us as we go all in on all topics ranging from changing diapers to preparing for Super Bowl Sunday. Guns it across the middle. Ricardo Allen, the interception. 35, 30, Allen 25. Welcome to All In with the Allen. Hello, hello. This is my first ever solo episode. It's kind of weird. Let me paint the scene for you. I am sitting in our little basement recording space that we have set up on my birthing ball, talking in a headset to myself. So this could be potentially horrible, or maybe it will be really good, but I have no idea and you never know it until you try. So I have gotten quite a few questions and comments and just like a lot of curiosity surrounding my decision to attempt a a VBAC, which is a vaginal birth after cesarean, for those of you that have never heard of that terminology before, um, surrounding this third pregnancy. So I've touched a bit on it on Instagram, but I figured that I would kind of go into more of the details of like why this is something that... I'm wanting to do kind of like the steps that I've taken, the research that I've done, kind of like how I've gathered the tools for my toolbox moving forward. So this is kind of going to be how the breakdown of the episode goes. First, I'm going to share why, like what was it that sparked my interest in wanting to VBAC? And then I'm going to talk a little bit about some statistics surrounding VBAC, like uterine rupture and success rates and all of these facts have come from research that I've gathered, documentaries that I've watched and um, an online course that I've actually done. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about my birthing plan. So I don't want every episode that we talk about to talk about coronavirus or COVID-19, but I think it is really important to address the fact that I am recording this episode while all of this is going on. So, so much of what my birthing plan and dream looked like is kind of changing on a day-to-day basis, depending upon what's happening surrounding the virus, if that makes any sense at all. So like, I do want to touch on that. And I want to say too, like, I am no medical expert at all. Like this is completely personal. I'm not really an expert at anything, to be honest. A lot of it's just wisdom that I've gathered along the way and like my story. So take this with a grain of salt. Obviously I'm an open book. So if there's anything that you have questions about, like I'm always accessible, please ask me, but I just want to share my journey and kind of explain my story a little bit more surrounding all of this. So let's get started. I never wanted to have C-sections. Like, I'm just going to put that out there very straight up. I know some women, that's, like, the route they want to take. They rather just, like, have the surgery done and have their baby. And other women, that's not really the story that they want for themselves. So I will say that birth is birth. Like, going through pregnancy and bringing a baby earthside is the most selfless thing I feel like we as women do. Whether your baby is born vaginally without medication or born via 
C-section or any other way your child gets here, like, I think you are incredible and, like, that we deserve to be commended for what we do. Like, it's not, it's not an easy thing and it's not something that's taken lightly. Having said that, during my pregnancy with Luca, I kind of just, I don't know the right way to put this, but I kind of just thought my body was going to do what it needed to do. Like, I had a very straightforward pregnancy. Everything was progressing well. I read like maybe one book about being pregnant and I was just patiently awaiting the day that like I went into labor and I just assumed like, okay, he's going to come when he's ready. And there's not really a whole lot that I need to do to necessarily prepare for that. Like my body knows what to do. So fast forward to 38 weeks and Middle of the night, I thought that my water broke. To be very transparent and straightforward, I woke up like in a wet spot in our bed and I was like, okay, that's my water breaking. So it was like six o'clock in the morning. I had an appointment that day anyway. So when I went into my appointment at 9.30, I told them what had happened and I just assumed that like labor was going to start. So they did a cervical check um, and my doctor said to me, I'll never forget it. She's like, oh, that's kind of squishy. Like, I don't think that's a head. And I was like, what do you mean you don't think that's a head? And she was like, I think your baby is breech. And so we did an ultrasound and sure enough, Luca had flipped at 38-ish. I think Cameron was 38 or 38 and a half, but 38 in some days pregnant. He flipped from being head down and flipped into a breech position. So for those of you that have never been pregnant or don't really know a whole lot about baby positioning, which I didn't prior to this being my reality. Breach is when the baby is essentially has its butt descended into your pelvis and its head up towards your ribs. So that is not the way that you preferably want your baby to exit your body. So being a first time mom and fully trusting my provider, you know, I said, so what does this mean? And she was like, well, honey, this means you have to have a C-section. And I'll never forget, I just felt totally, just, I felt defeated. Like, all of these weeks leading up to birth, I never once, to be so honest, it sounds so ignorant to say it, but, like, I never once contemplated or even gave a second of thought to the fact that I was going to be a woman that had a C-section. Like I said before, nothing is wrong with that, but that just wasn't going to be my story, and I was sure of it. So I didn't prepare myself. I didn't educate myself on what that looked like. I just knew that wasn't going to be what happened for me. Well, here here we are, and I'm here to tell you, after two, I was wrong, and that ended up being my story. So my doctor mentioned she could do this thing called an external version, where essentially they manually use their hands and attempt to manipulate the baby from the outside of the abdomen. I will say... The only time I had ever heard about this, I think it was like Kim Kardashian was in the media talking about how it was the most painful thing she had ever experienced in her entire life and discouraging people from it. So I remember when my doctor brought that up to me, that was the first thing I thought about, which I probably should have educated myself more. Um, And then secondly, I just felt like I needed a second to pray about it. I needed a second to think about it. So I went home and... I mean, I was devastated, I can't lie, but I just like went out for a walk and that's typically how I process things that 
need to be processed as I walk and I get out of my head essentially and just like into my body and I just kind of like let my thoughts flow. So while I was walking, I was just praying and thinking like, okay, you know, the end of the day, the most important thing that we have is a healthy baby and a healthy me, like a healthy mom. And I knew C-sections, you know, the risks were, they were there, but they, you know, it's a controlled surgery. It's something that happens, oh my goodness, in some hospitals in our current world, America, they have a 70% cesarean rate, which means that seven out of 10 women that show up to have a baby will end up in C-section. So they're done routinely. I feel like they're not even really that thought about anymore. And I just felt like, okay, if Luca had been head down my entire pregnancy and now all of a sudden he's not, I thought in my mind that there was maybe something internally going on, like heaven forbid the cord was in a weird position or there was something that he was avoiding. It never crossed my mind that maybe it was the fact that my hips were off aligned or my pelvis wasn't aligned properly. I never saw a chiropractor my first pregnancy. I didn't even know that was a thing until this third time around. So I'm sharing this like so openly with you because if this is your first pregnancy, your second or your third, or you've never even contemplated any of these things, I want someone to tell you this prior until you're faced with making decisions for yourself the way that I was, because I didn't really have anyone sit me down and talk to me about all of the ways that birth can essentially happen and my options. It was just like I fully trusted my provider and what they were saying to me in that moment. And I was scared and I was tired of being pregnant and I just wanted like all of it to be over. So we scheduled a C-section for 39 weeks. So that was not even seven days later from that appointment. And to be honest, it was not what I wanted, but it was beautiful. Like having the time to wrap my mind around what it was, to come to peace with it, to prepare for it, to know what I was showing up to the hospital for was much different than take two when I delivered Lennon via C-section again. So I'll get to that. Um, And that story is not as detailed. And there's still a lot of questions I have surrounding why that happened. But that's my first situation with Luca. I healed really nicely. Um, You know, it was uncomfortable, but it was manageable. And it was one of those things that like once it was done, it was done. And I kind of had to be like mind over matter and get on with life and just accept that it that it was what it was. So fast forward 19 months later and I am getting ready to deliver my second Miss Little Lenny Girl. And again, I found out I was pregnant when Luca was just shy of 11 months old, stuck with the same practice, which in hindsight, I don't know if that was the best choice, but I didn't really know any better. And so I went in for that initial appointment for my second pregnancy. And I asked them, I said, am I a candidate for a VBAC? And they were like, oh, absolutely. And so in my mind, that was good enough. Like me asking that question and that practice telling me they were supportive meant that they were going to support me. And essentially, if you do any research at all surrounding VBAC, you'll actually find that the number one factor that contributes to a mother's success having a VBAC is not anything to do with the mother, the size of the baby, 
the baby's positioning. It is the name of the provider. So there are some providers that claim that they are VBAC supportive, which means, okay, we'll tell you that we're supportive and we'll be with you all the way through your pregnancy, but just know if anything is not A, B, C, X, Y, Z, the way that we want it to look, you are having a C-section. And so to make a very long story short, essentially that is what ended up happening to me with Lenny is I was 39 weeks and a few days um, having some pretty consistent contractions, nothing that was overly painful. My water never broke, but I went into the, the office just because I wanted to make sure that everything was okay with, with baby. Um, and my provider was pretty much like, look, you're having labor contractions, but you're not going into labor. They did the stress test, like everything came back okay, but they were like, you know, we're not really noticing that she's presenting all of the qualities that we want her to be at this point in time and we would just hate to send you home with a healthy baby in your body for you to come back a few days later and that not be the case like literally those were the words that were said to me so in that moment I was like okay then let's just do what we have to do um and I didn't realize the manipulation essentially that was used by those words um at that time until I research this like really research and dedicated my time to learning the way that I have this third time around so I don't regret either of those two situations at all I wish that I would have asked more questions um, going through my pregnancy I wish that I would have educated myself better and advocated for myself more and realized that you know I don't know. I don't know how to say this without sounding like I know I can so clearly hear what I'm thinking in my mind and know what I feel. And I, I just wish I would have trusted my intuition more than I did in a couple of the situations that arose along the way, especially my last pregnancy. So here we are, we are almost full term, like weeks away potentially from delivering this third baby. And I'm trying for a VBAC. So there are a lot of opinions that surround this. And I just want to start by saying that I'm aware of that 110%. And I will also say that if this third pregnancy ends in a C-section, it will be a very different feeling for me because I know that I did literally everything that I could along the way. So I'm not saying that I'm going to be like happy about it by any means, but it will feel differently, I hope, because I know that I took all of the steps to prepare myself and to build the best case scenario, if that makes any sense at all. So I want more babies. And that is really one of the number one reasons that avoiding a C-section this third time around is so important because Rico and I have never had issues um, getting pregnant with Luca. It was like within two months with Lennon, I had one period post breastfeeding and was pregnant the next month. So this last time around, when four, five, six months rolled by and I still wasn't pregnant, I started kind of thinking like, okay, something's, something's not right. 
and I started to read and to do my homework like I always try to do. And I called my doctor, you know, I went in for, for like a checkup, everything, like obviously like my yearly checkups, everything came back totally normal. So I was like, I need to dig deeper and maybe think about an alternative medicine person, just someone to look at this with a different set of eyes. So I ended up finding a naturopathic doctor in Atlanta and she specializes in something called thermography screening. So essentially they use this camera that can detect the slightest change in temperature in the body and they photograph you from literally like the top of your head to the bottom of your feet and not a millimeter of your body is missed. So what this does is it essentially picks up on heat differences in your body. So like where there is elevated temperature is an indication of where there's inflammation in your body. So mine came back and my pelvis was like red on the photos, which essentially means that there was a lot of inflammation there. So she told me that she thought that I had endometriosis, but she didn't know that I had had two prior C-section. So if it was endometriosis, that would have been picked up by my primary care OBGYN provider in my yearly screening and then the other screenings that we did trying to figure out why almost half a year had gone by and I still wasn't pregnant. So when I told her that I had had two prior C-sections and we went back through the pictures, you can you can honestly see the scar tissue build up surrounding like my ovaries and that whole area. And so that was really scary for me because from the outside, I feel totally healthy. I look totally healthy. Like you would never know that all of that inflammation was residing inside of my body. So because I know what has happened from two abdominal surgeries, I can't imagine what that would do to have to happen a third time. So I think if I wasn't sure that we wanted more kids in the future, I could be a little bit more okay with just saying, okay, let's just do a routine C-section. Let's just repeat it. I can come to peace with this like, and let's move forward. But knowing that that's not really the story that we want for our family as far as family size goes, I have to be a little bit more mindful about my body. Um, and that was really where a lot of this started for me. And, and I went back to the same provider I've delivered both my babies with. And I just thought that, okay, you know, everything I have heard is once a C-section, always a C-section. And I kind of just thought that that was the truth. And then once I had, you know, one chance to V-back my last pregnancy with Lennon and it didn't happen, I just kind of tried to write that off in my mind. So there was like this conflicting battle that I was having with myself of kind of knowing the statistics that I didn't achieve it the second time and you kind of only get one chance versus knowing that my body's not in the best shape because of these prior C-sections and I don't want this to happen to myself again and trying to find like some logical middle of the road way to make all of this make sense. So at my 12-week ultrasound appointment, um, I asked, you know, I asked my provider, I said, hey, can you just clarify to me what your policy and hospital policy is on my what my birth will look like this third time around. And she was like, she's like, well, it will be a C-section, she said, and 
<clears throat> depending upon size of the baby and everything moving forward, she said it will be done at 39 weeks. She said potentially 38 if X, Y, and Z present itself. And I looked at her and I said, okay, I said, you know, is there any option at all for me to have a trial of labor? Which if you're reading about any of these things, a trial of labor after cesarean is referred to as a TOLAC, T-O-L-A-C, trial of labor after cesarean. So I just wanted to know if for some reason I was to go into labor, would I be allowed the attempt to vaginally deliver this baby or would I be in a cesarean no matter what? And her answer was, you will be in a C-section regardless. Like there is no option of trial of labor, she said. And something I really, sorry, I have so much indigestion right now because I'm so pregnant and I'm sorry, excuse me. And so she said to me, something else that I want you to consider, Grace, is that once we have you opened on the operating table, you should maybe just contemplate having your tubes tied. And I will never forget the feeling that went through my body in that moment of like, I had been asking God for like guidance and some type of sign to know like, was this the right practice? Like, do I stay with them a third time and just do this C-section a third time and just accept this is my story? Or do I not? Like, do I kind of go against the grain and step out and take this chance of forging a different path and choosing a different provider and advocating for myself? And when the doctor said, you should really just contemplate having your tubes tied, all of the hairs in my body stood up and I knew that this wasn't, this wasn't the right place for me this time around. And I just looked at her and I said, you know, why, you know, why are you suggesting that I have my tubes tied? I said, I'm not even a 30 year old woman. Like that just seems a little bit final of a decision for me to make at this point in time. And she's like, well, you know, she's like, C-sections are really hard on your body. And every one that you have is just, you know, just causes more risks for you while you're pregnant and more risks for you after pregnancy. And you really just probably shouldn't have any more kids. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I understand from a medical perspective why that is the truth, you know, that multiple abdominal surgeries aren't the best thing for my body, but like, there's got to be another way. Like there just has to be. So that was kind of the end of the conversation. And then I got home and that is just when the world of VBAC exploded for me. I listened to literally every single VBAC link podcast, which if you guys don't know about the VBAC link, you should listen to them. It's incredible. It's two women and they bring women on from all over the world that have attempted labor, successfully VBAC'd, and they share their stories. And not only that, they created an incredible VBAC course. So if anyone out there is thinking about potentially trying for a VBAC, I could not recommend more. One, listening to their podcast and two, paying, sorry, gosh, this indigestion is brutal, paying to take their course. It's um, so informative and it's just, it's honestly, it's just really empowering, but it's not over the top in the sense that it's like they leave out the truth. Like there is risk and they talk about the risk, but what they, what they do that a lot of other people don't do is they talk about the risks of repeat C-sections too, which like for me in the doctor's office, like 
until I looked her in her eyes and I was like, why are you telling me to have my tube tied when I'm on the table? She wouldn't, she did not tell me the risks of my repeat C-section. So in my mind, you're just telling me my risk of uterine rupture of attempting to VBAC, but you're not telling me the risks of a repeat C-section. So I just wanted, I'm one of those people that like, it's not very difficult for me 99.9% of the time to make a decision. And that is because I, I honestly go so above and beyond when it comes to gathering all of the information that I need before making a decision. So when I choose something, I'm 100% sure that this is the the right choice for me, if that makes any sense. So I like to have all of the facts and all of the numbers. And I want to talk to people who have come before me and done this before me. And I want to hear from doctors. I want to hear from midwives. I want to hear from doulas. I want to hear everybody's perspective, not just the people that are going to tell me what I want to hear and not just the people that are going to scare me, if that makes sense. So I decided that I was going to start researching providers that would allow me a trial of labor with this pregnancy. And I knew the name of a doctor um, that I had in my back pocket. And I just wanted to continue to pray on it. And obviously I had so many conversations with my husband about like his thoughts and he was totally supportive. Like he did his own homework. We watched this documentary by Dr. Berlin, which if you haven't heard of him, he has an awesome podcast as well. I'm pretty sure it's called the Informed Birth Podcast. And he is a doctor out of um, California. He is just super, super educated and smart and he allows women just check him out. It's all I'm going to say. He helped to produce this documentary. I believe it's called Trial of Labor. Um, and it follows five women through their journeys of attempting to be back. So you can watch it for free actually online. And I'll never forget when I watched that, it was just like, I knew that that was what I needed to do this time around. So Hopefully you're not falling asleep and if none of this appeals to you or applies to you, like totally fine. I understand that it's kind of a specific topic, but I know that there are women out there that will appreciate it because I know for me that these are the types of things that made me able to take this step and to advocate advocate for myself. It, It made a difference for me to hear other women share their stories and for me to feel like I wasn't alone. Um, and so that is the reason I'm, I'm speaking up about, about this. So I just want to go on to say some of the things that I have done this pregnancy to try to increase my odds of achieving a VBAC is one, I changed providers. So like I mentioned, I think there's a difference in a provider that is actually VBAC supportive versus one that tells you they are VBAC supportive. So ask to see their numbers. That might sound kind of psychotic, but people range in rates of cesarean, like by percentages you cannot imagine. So some doctors are less than 10% and some doctors are between 60 and 70%. So ask to see those numbers and then be even more specific than that and ask what is their VBAC rate, you know, because it's different if it's a first time mother coming in to have a C-section versus someone that 
has made it clear that they wish differently. So ask to see those things. There's a great resource called ICANN. I think it's ICANN.com where it's, um, talks about feedbacks. It will connect you with, you type in your state, you type in a couple other um, facts about you, things you're looking for, and it will spit out a list of providers to you that you can contact. Doulas, it's like, it's like just a super awesome um, tool there. So get on ICANN, look around, call and interview people. Ask questions, like be, be very straightforward. It was something that I didn't do my second time around and I feel like it made all, all the difference in not achieving essentially the type of birth that I, that I hoped for. So something else that I'm doing this pregnancy that I never did before and I'm realizing now is probably the biggest barrier as to why my babies, well, why Luca ended up breech and why Lenny wasn't able to fully descend is because my pelvis is not aligned properly. I don't know if it's from years of swimming, from working out, from sitting with my legs crossed. Like there's so many factors that play into our body's alignment And it is one of the most important things to make sure that your body is properly aligned during pregnancy and especially when it comes to giving birth. So this is my first pregnancy that I have consistently seen a chiropractor. I started at 14 weeks with a regular chiropractor and at 24 weeks, I switched to a chiropractor that is Webster certified. So Webster certified is the key word here. If you are pregnant, you want to find someone that has... um, that certification with their chiropractic license. So let me see. There is a website for that too. Let me check my phone really fast so I can tell you guys how to find that. Okay, so to find a Webster certified chiropractor, you go to ICPA for the number kids.com and just put in what you're looking for, the criteria, and put in your state and it will spit out to you a list of Webster certified chiropractors near you. So go through there, look at their reviews, interview them. You want to mesh with them well because you will be visiting this chiropractor on the same schedule that you're visiting your OBGYN. So when you're doing monthly visits with your OB, you'll more than likely be seeing your chiropractor monthly unless your body is kind of more out of whack than normal. You'll see them more often. So it will be a pretty consistent relationship that you'll want to be comfortable with this person. So Webster Certified Method Chiropractor, Changing Provider. Um, Number three is hiring a doula. So I never really knew the importance of a doula prior to this pregnancy again, but I noticed it was one of the repeating characteristics that I was hearing about in all of the podcasts I was listening to, all the birth stories I was reading. And I just think that it's one of those things that the more people you can have on your side to advocate advocate for you, to cheer you on, just to even give you that reassurance that like we all need as women, but especially at the end of pregnancy, it's just hard. So I hired a really fantastic doula. Um, given the times with COVID, and I don't know where you live listening to this, but currently in Georgia, in the hospital that I'm delivering at, they are allowing only one support person in the room with you while you deliver. So essentially what this means is that I will be choosing between my doula and my husband. Never thought there'd be a day in life that this would even be something that could 
be contemplated. And I can't imagine my husband not being there, you know, emotionally to, to support me. Like Rico, I love you to death. And he would be the first one to tell you, like, he doesn't want to watch me get my blood drawn. Like he doesn't want to see me in any type of physical pain. Like it, it actually makes him ill. Like he passed out once when they blew my vein drawing blood. So let's just say that the support Rico gives me is very different than the support that my doula could give me when it comes to VBAC, especially, and when it comes to birth. So I honestly can't see myself not having my husband with me when I give birth. So it's like a very clear, like I know what I'm ultimately going to do. But my point in sharing this is that I thought I had this great birth team, this this doctor that is like so seriously incredible when it comes to VBAC and when it comes to just like he's older, he's trained so many of the doctors and he actually, it's crazy, but my favorite doctor from the practice that I left, she studied under him in school. So he just has this really, I don't know how to, how to describe his, his energy. Like I think if it was my first pregnancy and I walked into his office and I met him, I probably wouldn't appreciate him the way that I do having prior experience with different types of practices, if that makes sense. Like his office is like not nice. It's super dated, but he is a wealth of knowledge and he have never had a doctor ask me such specific questions about myself, about my wishes. And it's like, you might wait for him because he's constantly running over with his patients. But when he has that time with you, you know that your wishes are going to be heard. And he doesn't sugarcoat things. Like when I sat down and I interviewed him, I was intimidated and I had done my research and I had my notes and I knew that the points I wanted to hit and I appreciated so much that he was willing to be honest with me. And I knew I wanted to hire him and move forward when he looked at me and he said, I just want you to know, Grace, like I can tell you're a very smart girl. I can tell you've done your homework. He's like, I want to tell you that I cannot promise you a VBAC. And he paused and then he looked at me and he said, but what I will promise you is that if we end up in a third C-section, it is because you 110% absolutely had to have that happen. And for me, that was good enough. Like, I don't want to be some renegade, like trying to do this unknown crazy thing, like in my home. I don't want to give a home birth. I don't like maybe if C-sections weren't my history, I would love that idea. I like, I love that. But for me, like, that's not my story. And so to know that I was heard and that my feelings about some things that I had brought up to him about the way that my last C-section was handled, like to know that my feelings were valid and that I wasn't crazy and I wasn't just being sensitive about, I don't want to call it trauma, but like there's been some things that have been very difficult for me to heal from regarding my birth with Lennon. Like it was, it was very different than it was with Luca. And it was, it was very hard for me. So just to know that he heard me and saw me, like that was a really, that was something that was really important to me. And I don't think I realized how much I was missing that. So make sure you find a provider that's truly supportive. Make sure you're getting chiropractic care. If a doula is in your budget or in your wishes, interview a few doulas, like figure out if that is 
the right thing for you. Like you don't have to just sit down with one, like talk to four or five, find the person that you mesh with the best. So I don't know what my birth is going to end up looking like. I don't know if my doula is even going to be able to be there. I don't even know at this point if my husband is going to be able to be there. Like this whole thing is changing so much on a day-to-day basis that I am honestly mentally preparing myself to give birth alone. And I don't know if that comes off strong or if that comes off wrong, but like I've heard stories of women showing up to the hospital to give birth and their husband's not being able to come until the baby's born. And I don't know like how true they are. I'm not wanting to look into them that far, but what I do know when a pandemic happens like this, that a country has never seen before, like things change and I don't want to be mentally caught off guard while I'm already trying to do something that the odds are essentially against me. So I'm mentally preparing myself to go into this alone. And if that's not the case and I get to have my husband there or I get to have my husband and my doula there, like that's going to be the greatest day of my life, regardless of how this whole thing turns out. So that's kind of where I'm at with VBAC and kind of like, that's my birth plan at this point. And it sounds like there's not really a whole lot there. It's because there's not. And I'm just taking it, honestly, I'm just taking it a day at a time and kind of seeing how everything plays out with coronavirus. So I just wanted to share a couple of facts and statistics from the VBAC link course that I did. And like I said, they've done a lot of the research for me, essentially. So I just want to read a few things from from their the manual that I did for the class. Just if this is something, you know, VBAC is something that's on your heart and you've never thought that hard about it or you thought you couldn't do it, I just want to share some facts and statistics with you. So according to the American Pregnancy Association, 90% of women who have had a C-section are candidates to attempt a trial of labor for VBAC in a future pregnancy, yet only 10% will try. Most published studies show that up to 80% of women with a cesarean birth who attempt a VBAC have a safe vaginal birth. So those numbers, I don't know if they're as comforting to you as they are to me, but pretty much what that tells me is that this is possible. It's just that we have been told or there's this concept that once you have a C-section, like that's just your story moving forward and that isn't necessarily the truth. So I will admit I have a fear of uterine rupture, but the more I read about the likelihood of this happening, my fear drastically decreases. So here is a few a few little facts, or here's a few little facts about uterine rupture, just to kind of put it into perspective. So like I mentioned, up to 80% of women who attempt a VBAC will be successful, and VBAC is generally associated with fewer complications than a repeat cesarean. The biggest risk and the most influencing factor for VBAC is uterine rupture. So if you don't know what that is, a uterine rupture is defined as a tear through all three layers of the uterine lining. However, uterine rupture can even occur in women without a prior cesarean, although it is not quite as likely. So uterine rupture is something that I had never even heard of before I mentioned to my provider that I wanted to be allowed a trial of labor and to try to VBAC this time around. So uterine rupture can happen whether or not you've ever had a C-section. It's just when your uterus essentially tears open. So if you've had incisions, if you think about it logically, 
it's less, it's more likely that you're going to tear versus a woman that has a uterus that's totally intact. So that's just something that I wanted to mention. Having said that, there are certain incisions and ways that C-sections are done that make you more likely to risk a uterine rupture versus being less likely. So the very good thing for me is that both of my prior C-sections were done with the lower transverse incision, which is essentially a very small incision that is cut horizontally across my lower abdomen. And then I always mentioned when I was on the table, like, please, please, please suture me up the best you can because I want more babies. Like I always made that clear. So they were able to stitch through all three layers individually. So I, I have like a super well-enforced suture, if that makes sense. And it's been two and a half years since my last one. So speaking of the length of time, here's some info on the length of time between pregnancies when it comes to VBAC. So in a study investigating whether or not short or long-term pregnancy intervals increased or decreased chances of uterine rupture, it shows that any length of time, six months or longer, between pregnancy has no impact on risk for uterine rupture. In other words, if it is six months or more from the time you had your C-section to the time you got pregnant again, there is no increased risk of rupture. Six months between pregnancies is 15 months between births. So with pregnancies less than six months apart, the risk of rupture doubles or triples to roughly 2.2%. However, this does not automatically exclude you from a VBAC. It just means that the risk is higher and that it is an, that if that is an acceptable risk to you, you should look for a provider that is acceptable, that um, is comfortable with that risk as well. So just a few stats about VBAC and cesareans and all of these things and kind of just to explain why I wanted to forge this path and kind of take this on this third time around. So I'd love to hear from you guys, especially if you are a VBAC mama, please reach out to me. I have a few more weeks to go before I find out if I achieve this way of birth or if I end up in another C-section with a healthy baby that's 100% fine too. Like I said earlier in the episode, it's just knowing that I did everything I could to try. Um, that's going to make the most different, most make the most of a difference for me moving forward. So birth is birth. I'm so excited to meet this baby. I can't wait to see who this is that's living inside of me. And I'm excited to be able to update you guys with like part two of this once my birth is behind me and just to inform you all of like how things ended up going down. So thank you so much for listening. Please reach out, share your stories, and we will talk soon. Until then, you can follow along on Instagram at grace.e.allen. And I will make sure that all of the sources that I mentioned in this podcast, in this episode, sorry, are linked um, below so that it's easier for you to find them. So thanks again. Talk soon. Bye. That's it for now. Thanks for tuning in. When you have a chance, rate and review. Hit subscribe to stay all in with new episodes. And if you enjoy All In with the Allens, be sure to share with a friend. In the meantime, follow along with our daily journeys on Instagram at grace.e.allen and ricardoallen37. Thanks again for joining and we'll see you soon. Yeah. <laughs>